That's awesome. Well, and again, you know, if you've been around for a while, that, that, that doesn't complete the story. And so what I want to do is just spend a little bit of time talking about that. But I don't want to spend all of our time just kind of walking through step by step everything that's happened. You know what I mean? Because uh, there's just so many. Like we spent some time earlier this morning uh, with some of our team and just, uh, you know, passing the microphone around and people just sharing their story about how, what God has done and how God has impacted their life. And, and it's just amazing to be a part of. And so uh, for today, uh, things will be a little different uh, than normal because uh, sometimes I just go right at it and, you know, we go right through the Bible and all that. Um, and we will do that. But, but I do want to just pause for a moment and talk a little bit about the journey that we've been on. And so thank you for giving me that opportunity because I think it's important. Because when the Bible says that we should feed on his faithfulness, that's important. You know what I mean? Because what happens so often in our lives is we forget what God has done. We do it all the time. Israel did it all the time. We just don't remember sometimes. And so it's so important that we kind of look back and we look inward and we look at the present. And we look at those kinds of things so that we can see what God is doing. And so we're going to do that for just a few minutes today. Um, but as that, as that video ended, it talked about how when God was doing something, God was on the move. God was working something together. It was our job as a church to respond. It's our job as a church to reorient ourselves if necessary and get in line with what God is doing. It is not our job to tell God what to do, yes? And so it's not our job to do that. Our job is to reorient ourselves and get involved in what God is already doing. Does that make sense? And so there's a river flowing and our job is to get in the river, not to create the river, if that makes sense. And so our job is to discern what God is up to. And that's what the story of Elevation has been, is on a regular basis, we will find ourselves at a crossroads or something going on. And we're like, oh, what are we supposed to do now? So, for example, when we were at the movie theater, one of the things that happened is, if you don't know this, Werenberg Theaters was a local company. It was bought out by a national company. And when the national company came in, uh, we lost a lot of favor <laughs> with it. Because, you know, corporations are different. You know what I mean? And in addition to that, they decided to change the seating. So they went from, you know, the normal stadium seating to these big recliners. Well, in a moment, we lost half our seats like, it was crazy. I mean, it was just like, oh, well. And it just felt like our favor there was starting to go away. And so as, as pastor, and also we started to gather with our leadership to say, okay, what are we supposed to be doing? And the crazy thing is, is, is that God, well, it's not crazy. It's just what he does. You know what I mean? It seems crazy to us, but to him, he just always is able to do something when there doesn't seem to be a way. He makes a way, right? The Bible says he makes paths in the middle of the desert sometimes that we couldn't see before. And so through all of that, what happened is one of our team members was, I don't know, driving around Fenton and they found this building. And this was an old bank. I don't know if you know that. This was the old Commerce Bank. So the Commerce Bank that's over there in Fenton right by Deerberg's was used to be here. And so if you don't believe me, go back to the kids' space and you will find the safe. <laughs> it's there. Uh, and so when we started to into this building, you start to see like this building was a mess. 
It was full of junk. I mean, it was just a mess. And you're seeing the before and after pictures. Because uh, this is what the space looked like before. And it had so much stuff in it. And we worked really hard to try and convert this space into a house of worship. There's the, there's the uh, safe right there. It's still there. Uh, it's, it actually houses our kids' tickets. So when they do Bible studies and stuff and memorization, they get tickets. They can go into that, that vault and, and get some tickets, you know, or I mean get some prizes. And so isn't it amazing how God can take an old beat-up bank that was really forgotten and turn it into a house of worship? That, the, that, that God could do something like that through his people To begin to usher in something new. And I would even go as far as to say in a dead space, turn it into something that was alive. And and, and that's what God has done. And he's done that and he continues to do it. And it's just such an amazing thing to be a part of. That what God is working on and what God is doing, that we get to be a part of that. Now just for a moment, I want to remind us of what our mission is. Our mission is to see people transformed by Jesus. That's it. In a nutshell, that's what we want to see. And I want to describe to you three, I would say, I'd say three statements that I think are important for us to remember. The first statement is this. God is changing lives at elevation. Lives are being changed at elevation. And we have all kinds of things going on where people are meeting Jesus. They're being transformed by Christ inside. Like he's doing a work on the inside and he's turning people into Christ followers so that they can fully realize their potential in Jesus. This is happening right in front of our eyes. And if I gave the mic to some of you, you'd probably stand up and you'd say, yes, that's my story. But we would be here all day. And some of you then would be mad at me because you didn't get to the Golden Corral. I get it. But I do just for a moment want to pause and allow someone to speak. You know, our church is committed to something called freedom. See, God wants to save us, but he also wants to heal us. Yes? And so part of what the gospel is about is not just that we would be saved, but in this life, God wants to help us get free. And so we are committed to this as a church. And, and so one of our ministries that we do is freedom ministry. And uh, I wanted to invite Emily to come. Uh, Emily's going to share her story. So would you welcome Emily? And so Emily has gone through... Emily has gone through our freedom process, and and she has an amazing testimony she wants to share with you today. And so, go get them, Emily. Well, hello, everyone. (laughs) Um, What an amazing church. I can't say that enough. We have some amazing pastors here. Um, I always feel like when there's something good, you give, you just show gratitude. And I can't say enough what this church has done for me and my family, um, who are all sitting here today, including my mom from Arkansas. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to listen to some really great teachings over the last several months, and there is one message that has continually helped me with my identity. I feel it is a daily reminder of just how purposeful our God is. Have you ever stopped to think about the God who created the heavens and the universe, created you? 
that he chose each and every one of us sitting in this house today, that he purposefully created you in his image from the color of your skin to the shape of your nose, your hair color, etc. We often sit in front of the mirror and allow the lies of the devil to engulf our minds. Maybe you're sitting there and you're telling yourself that you're not good enough. Or maybe you're sitting there nitpicking at all of the things that you don't like about yourself. That's like standing before our Lord and Savior and telling him that he made a mistake. Our Lord and Savior doesn't make mistakes. If that doesn't quite sink in, my 14-year-old daughter Hannah is taking honors biology right now. They are learning about DNA and genetics. So she is home and she's drawing a diagram and showing me how the different strands work. What must happen to become the gender that we are, have the eye color that we have, or the hair color that we have? And I just look at her like deer in the headlights. And I'm like, I'm so glad that you understand all of that. But then in reflecting on what she's explaining to me, I thought to myself, out of all of the little strands of DNA, out of all of the hair colors, the eye colors, the personality traits, etc., that we could have possibly had, God chose you and he chose me. Everything about me from head to toe. He chose me to stand before you today to share my testimony. He has aligned and placed everything so strategically and purposefully that here we are together in his house. Can you begin to comprehend how miraculous that is in itself? Jesus has moved so many mountains in my life. The last two years have been a rough season for my family and I. He has restored my husband and I's marriage. Jesus has walked right beside me with love, grace, mercy, and so much patience. He has done exceedingly and abundantly above anything I could have ever asked or imagined. The Lord has blessed me in my testimony. He has placed people so purposefully in my life that have been such a blessing. And likewise, he has used me to be a blessing to others. 1 Peter 3.15 reads, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Who am I? As I sit here, my emotions are overtaking me. Tears of some pain and sadness, but mostly tears of joy, because what a journey this has been. You see, several weeks ago, when I was asked the question above, I remember sitting in silence and thinking, what kind of question is that? Who am I? I did not come to freedom to find out who I am. I came here because I so desperately needed an escape and a relief from a great amount of pain and sadness that had overtaken me. I walked in with a heart of stone and bitterness like you would not believe and a whole lot of skepticism and self-absorbed feelings. There was a pain deeper than I can begin to explain. Freedom Group was my last resort. I so desperately needed Jesus, and I felt like he was nowhere to be found. I could not understand how I got to this point in my life. Being raised in a Christian home all of my life, thinking to myself, I know what Jesus says about me, but then why is my faith weak? I felt ashamed for the pain and my feelings because of this. If you are a Christian, then I know you can probably relate to what I'm saying. So when asked the question, who am I? In short, my answer was, I am a wife and a mother. At that moment, both of those, seems, both of those remarks seemed like such valid and true answers. But what I learned in the weeks ahead was that I am so much more. 
At this point, most of you would be like, well, duh, Emily. You see, what I knew to be true and what I believed and had faith to be true were completely different. Satan had been sitting on one shoulder for far too long telling me lies, telling me I was not good enough, that I was doing a terrible job at being a wife and a mother. What I wanted in life was too far out of my reach. Over time, I became so fearful that I lost sight of who Jesus really is. At 34, I had lost my identity, really several years before that, but it was not until this moment that I realized I had no idea who I was, and that was, in kind, of, and that was kind of embarrassing for me. Who doesn't know who they are at 34? A point I want to make is that identity is important. If we don't know who we are in Christ, everything that comes after becomes a much harder walk for freedom especially if you are living for the approval of others. It is because of freedom and some faithful Christian women that I began soaking in the word, repeating scriptures, journaling like I had never journaled before, listening to Christian podcasts, diligently working on myself and my relationship with Jesus, repenting for sins that I committed long ago but never asked for forgiveness for. I began forgiving others, speaking life into myself instead of darkness, listening to Christian music. If it has anything to do with Jesus, I want it, and I am soaking it into my life. I want to be a woman who is obedient to God no matter the cost. This journey is lifelong. I am not perfect. The path will not always be perfect. I will face trials and tribulations, and I will have pain. But if there's one thing I can offer someone today... It is that God's word never returns void. His promises are everlasting, and he is so faithful. Humbling myself and opening my heart during this freedom experience has been an abundant blessing, and it is because of my Jesus and the resources that he placed in front of me that I am here to tell you today that Jesus never left my side. He was always there in the midst of my trials and tribulations. He was there waiting patiently, calling me to come back to him. Today I can sit across the table from you, and I can tell you exactly who I am. I belong to Jesus. I am alive in him. I am the daughter of the Most High King. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am treasured. I am secure. I am significant. I am redeemed. I am chosen. I am free. And I'm going to work hard for the remainder of my life so that one day when I meet him at the gates of heaven, he will say to me, well done. Good and faithful servant. Amen, amen. Give, give Emily a hand. Thank you, girl. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Come on. So good. You know, and, and, and the thing is, is we clap for Emily, but we clap more for Jesus. Because, see, her story is many of our stories. Her story could be your story because the reality is, is that God is always on the move. He's always changing lives. He's always doing amazing things. And sometimes we just got to pause to see it. We just got to ask the question. And so, you know, as a church, like I said, we're all about seeing people transformed by Jesus and there are lives being changed right in front of us. And you may be one of them. And I just I just think it's important that we don't move too fast past that. You know, sometimes we move quick. And we don't even take time to reflect all that God has done in our lives. And so I want to encourage you today, just feast on his faithfulness. Just spend some time reflecting and saying, wow, what a journey. Amazing what God has done. Because see, God is still in the business of changing lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.
You know, the second declarative statement that I want to make is that God is doing miracles at Elevation. Now, I don't know if you believe in miracles, but I believe in a God that created all things. And if God can create all things, he sure can do a miracle. Yes? And I don't have any interest or any business uh, believing that the Bible's not true. Because the Bible says it's true. The Bible says these things happen. And so as a church, we just believe it. Like in faith, we just believe that God does miracles. That God's still active and he's still moving. And, you know, he just is. And I, I could tell you story after story. But I, I, I want to share just, I want to share my, uh, one, maybe two stories really quick. Uh, I want to introduce you to my little friend, Jesse. Isn't he cute? Isn't he cute? Ah, that kid. I love that kid. You know, that kid was, uh, is a miracle. He, he literally is a miracle. He was born into this world with all kinds of trouble, uh, premature and all kinds of challenges. And um, to see him today is just a glorious thing. Every time I see that kid come in, I, you know, and he's just all over the place, you know, having a good time. He's always wanting to play the drums. He runs around like he doesn't even care if I'm talking. Like I could, I could be preaching and he's just like running around now. And if it was anybody but Jesse, I'd probably be like, hey, quiet, I'm talking here. But there's just this part of me that I just love to see it. I love to see this little boy that, that everybody thought wasn't going to make it. I love to watch him run around and shout and sing and how passionate he is about playing drums. I mean, it's just the coolest thing ever. I just have this picture in my head that God is going to raise him up and, and he's going to be playing in the band someday, you know. And, and God is just going to be doing some amazing things through him. And, and, and these are the kinds of stories that I could tell you over and over again. I also want to introduce you to my sister-in-law. This is Sarah. And that's our, our new little dog, Lulu. Lulu is a, a basset hound, and uh, I don't know if you like hounds, but, but my, my wife uh, thinks hound dogs are the coolest thing ever. And, uh, and so I would normally not even have an animal, but because I'm a loving husband, I bought her this dog, and uh, his, her name is Lulu. But it's really not about Lulu. I was talking about Sarah, wasn't I? Well, I, I want to I give you the brief version, all right? Because if you want to hear the full version, you have to come back to Easter, all right? But I, I want to just tease this a little bit. Because last year, uh, Sarah had a massive uh, pulmonary embolism that led to multiple strokes, um, multiple heart attacks. Um, and the truth is, I was on the phone with the doctor while they were working on her in the hospital. And he very clearly said, she's not going to make it. We were out of town at the time, and I remember we just began to pray, and, um, and our church began to pray, and I can tell you, like when you say, okay, pastor, I know what you're saying, miracles, you have to say that. Guys, this was a notable miracle, and I can show you, and I can prove it to you, and that is what God does, and I just want to say to you, if you don't believe in a God that can do miracles, I'm just so glad you're here. I really am, because I believe that if you'll open yourself up to the possibility that there is a God that's active and alive, he's not some distant God that you can't know, he's not some God that you can't interact with, I just want to tell you that it's true. And so I just want to encourage you to begin to believe 
again, maybe, maybe for the first time. If you're a part of Elevation, I just want to declare it before all of us that our God is not only changing lives, but he is also doing miracles. He is. And then finally, I'll end with this last declarative, uh, or I should say it this way. I'll end this section. Some of you are like, oh, right. You know, God is in the challenges, isn't he? Matter of fact, I think God does his best work in the challenges. Because when we're comfortable, we don't look for him. You know what I mean? It's when things get hard, all of a sudden we're like, Jesus! And, and God does his best work in the challenges. And I, I remember when we were moving into this building, we, we had sent out all these flyers to come. Like, everybody, come to Easter. It's going to be awesome. Well, in the process, if you've ever done a building process or a project, you know, you know that those, those deadlines are, I guess, suggestions. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They're just suggestions. Well, we didn't get permits. Different things happened. And we literally uh, invited all these people to come to church and and. and we couldn't be in that half of the building. So we had no kids ministry and, and uh, we literally had to cut a hole in that wall right there so people could go into the bathroom. Like they allowed us to do that, but we had to literally cut a hole in the wall so that people would have a bathroom on Easter. I mean, it was a party, let me tell you. <laughs> but see, those are the challenges of life, aren't they? Like, you know how it works. It's like what you planned doesn't happen. And, and it's in those moments that God is always faithful. It's in those moments that he's showing up. And he does the, he's just constantly doing that if we will pay attention. If we will look and see what he's doing. Two years ago, none of us would have saw this little virus coming, would we? None of us anticipated the things that came with it. None of us anticipated all the challenges that we would face, the effect it would have on us as human beings, mentally, emotionally, the effect it would have on the church, the effect it would have on people in the world, on politics and all the stuff that's going on and all the problems and all the stuff, right? We didn't anticipate that. But let me just tell you, friends, God is still working. I'm telling you, he is still working. He is still moving, and there are things he has for his church to do. One of the things that we have to remember, that God is always moving, always working, and that means if that's true, that whatever you see isn't yet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is what you see, but the good news is, is that God sees there. He sees what's coming. He sees how you get there. He sees the things you need to do to anticipate it. That's why we talk about being people of faith. We don't always see things, but we hope in the one that does. And so when we put our faith and trust in God in the challenges, though they may be awful, though they may be horrible, though they may make us want to curl up in a fetal position and never leave the house again, God is still moving. God is still working. And we have to always remember that. And I remember when God revealed to me, he gave me this vision of a burned field. Because that's how I felt. It was like I looked out and I saw, you know, all these people were no longer attending church. All this stuff that was going on in the church and the effects that it was having on people and their psyche and all the challenges. And I remember just feeling like the whole, whole thing had just been burned to the ground. If you ever felt that way, if you're a leader, there's probably a point where you thought that. 
We're like, whoa, what has happened? And I remember God so clearly saying to me, okay, do you see it? I said, yes, I see it, Lord. (laughs) He says, are you willing to plant again? And my answer was, no. (laughs) I committed to plant one church, not two. But then... I start to think about it. Lord, where else would I go? You're my my everything. What would I do? So what what do you do? Well, you get back to work. You stop looking at the field that's burned to the ground. You start looking at the one that can do something about it. And see, see what I'm getting at? We, as a church, we're not done. <laughs> this pandemic is not going to, is not taking us out. We are going to be stronger because we come through it. God is going to do miraculous things. And Lord, do we not know that our world needs Jesus? It is time for the church to stand. It is time for the church to stand up and say the things that we need to say and stop being just talking heads but love people the way Christ loved people to intersect this world that is so broken with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God's always up to something, isn't he? He's always doing something. And our job is to figure out, okay, Lord, what are you doing? What do we need to do? What is next for us? What is next for us as a church? I want to read something to you. It's a passage of scripture that's really informed a lot of what elevation is and where we've come from and what we're about. And so this is in John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm just going to read through some of this, starting in verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. It's a foundational passage. It's actually, you may not even know this, this is actually where we get the name of elevation. It comes out of this chapter. And so I'll read some of it to you. But Jesus answered them. Who did he answer? He answered some Gentile converts to Judaism that were coming to Israel, to coming to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, this is important because these were Jews. They were Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. Now, this is important. What was happening in the Gospel of John is was in this moment that it becomes very clear that God is not just for the house of Israel, but he's for the house of everybody else too. And so these, these Gentiles are asking Jesus some questions. And what I love is a lot of times people will ask Jesus questions and he doesn't always answer them. You know, you know what I mean? Like he, they ask the question and he, he goes somewhere else with it. <laughs> he just, and you're like, wait a second, you should answer that question. But, 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 but Jesus doesn't do that. It says, but Jesus answered them not in the way that they wanted to hear. He actually goes a different way. And he says this. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Everybody say glorified. glorified. This is important. This word glorified is important. Matter of fact, I'd, I'd say this to you. As believers in Jesus Christ, if you are today, your job is to bring him glory. That is what your life is to exist for. Not for yourself, not for your agenda, 
but to bring glory to God. And so he says that the Son of Man should be glorified. That's the hour that we've come to. Verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, watch this. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now get that. Do you notice what's happening there? That this little grain of wheat has to be used for what it was intended for in order for the results that God intended. Does that make sense? And so this seed has to do what it's been told to do. There's an integrity in what God has created. Anything God has created has integrity. In other words, if you put it in the ground, it will grow. The things that man makes or human beings make, we, we make things and they just break. <laughs> Matter of fact, we create whole industries based on obsolescence, you know, that somehow it's going to break in five years anyway, so you got to get a new one. But see, that's not God. God creates things with integrity. So if you plant a seed, it will do what it's supposed to do. And so here's the point. If we don't ever plant it, that seed can't do what it's supposed to do, which is to die in some ways. Then from it comes life comes a harvest. You get the imagery here. And so what's happening when you hear the word glorified, it's not just that it's Jesus being lifted up in the way that we would think it is. It's actually something very specific that John is getting after. And I want to explain that to us. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. Is that different than the world? He who hates his life, look at this. In this world will keep it. So what's going on? Jesus is presenting something that seems contrary to, to how we live. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Why would Jesus be troubled? What was going on that would cause him to say that? Why would his soul be troubled? And then he says this, Father, save me from this hour. Maybe you've heard that phrase a little bit before. Remember right before the cross? He was in the garden. And he says, Lord, if it be your will. Right? Now, I want this cup to pass from me, this cup of judgment. I don't want anything to do with it. But because it's your will, your purpose, I'm willing to walk towards it, even if it means my own life. That's what's happening. That's the tension. So you start to pick up, okay, what, well, what does this have to do with glorification? What does this have to do with, with, with Jesus being glorified? Then he says this, but for this purpose, do you see it? That was his purpose. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, see, see the word again? Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So there's a lot of glorifying going on here, isn't there? <laughs> Therefore, the people who stood by and heard said that it thundered. I guess when God speaks, there's thunder. Others said an angel had spoken because of me, but for your sake. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. An angel has spoken to him. And then verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, 
but for your sake. Is this making sense? Now is the judgment of this world. Now, look at this. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Verse 32. Read this to yourself. And if I, come on, am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's where we get the name elevation. It's this idea that if we would lift up Jesus above all things, he promises to draw all people to himself. That we don't just lift up a person, a singer, no, we, we lift up Jesus. Everything reflects back to Jesus. <laughs> that, that's the goal. Because the principle is true that if we will lift him up from the earth, these things will come to pass. Now, in this particular passage of scripture, it's very specifically talking about something else. Now, the implications are true that to lift up Jesus, we see that, it, that it's about elevating, it's about honoring, it's about proclaiming the glory of Jesus, the glory of God. That's what we do today. But in this moment, it's about something else. Watch in verse 33, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that is Christ, that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? So in other words, how are you saying that the Son of Man's going to die when he's going to live forever? Wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. He says, who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, <laughs> just a little while longer and the light will be with you. You see where this is going, right? See what he's getting at? Watch this. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Isn't that true? You ever walked in the darkness and stubbed your toe? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Hit your toe on that under part of your bed. It's the worst. But when we walk in the dark, these are the things that happen. He goes on in verse 36, while you have the light, listen, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light, daughters of the light. And these, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Verse 37, but although he had done, listen to this, although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. In other words, a miracle did not lead to their belief. Because isn't it true that sometimes what we say is, if I could just see it, if I could see God do something miraculous, if I, if I saw it, I, I guarantee you I'd believe it. Jesus did it. And people didn't believe. And so friends, we have to know that that's not always the case. Miracles aren't enough. The Bible says that only faith is what pleases God. And so faith is what you need. Faith is what you need. Putting your faith in the fact that this is what God meant, that the glorification of Jesus was his death. Yeah. Friends, that is not 
the way we approach life. That's not the way that the world approaches life. That is what Jesus presented to the world that was different. That in his dying, life would come forth. And this is important for us as a church. Why? Well, because if Jesus did it, shouldn't we? And so I have two statements as I end. The first is this. We will never reach our full potential as a church unless we live sacrificially. Do you understand? Like we will never reach the full potential that God has for us unless we live sacrificially. Why would we do that? Because that's how Jesus lived. He was a giver. He gave his life. He gave everything. And so for us as a church, that is our model. We are not a taking church. We're a giving church. Because see, so what happens in our life sometimes, don't you ever, do you ever think that, that sometimes it's about you? <laughs> Come on. And see, Jesus speaks into that reality and says, hey, friend, it's not about you. It's about me. And it's about you loving me and it's about you loving people. It's about you sacrificing, laying down your life. You want to have good friendships? You want to have a good marriage? You want to have good things in your life? Then you learn to serve people. You learn to sacrifice your own needs, your own desires. And then what will happen is that the kingdom of God will start to show up in your life and you will experience the things that God wants you to experience. Do you not see it? That the grain has to fall into the ground. And it has to die in order for the harvest to come. Did you notice that in this, that the harvest happens? In other words, it goes from one to multiples. But in order to go from one to multiples, there has to be a death. There has to be a giving. There has to be a saying, okay, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm, I'm sowing, I'm sowing. You with me? And so as you sow and sow and sow, what happens is that through that sowing, God takes your one seed and he turns it into multiple seeds. He turns it into multiple harvest. When you start to act sacrificially in the world, you will begin to experience exponential growth in your life. Exponential growth in your family. Exponential growth in your relationships. This is what God is about. Now, is it about you getting what you want? No. It's about you giving your life and trusting that the one that promised it will bring it to pass. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's not about give to get. No. God has no interest in that. But he does have interest in faith. And he does have interest in you sacrificing your life for other people. And so as a church, we will reach our full potential when we go lower. Because when we go lower, he will take us higher. That's what it's about. That's what God wants us to be doing. And so as a church, that's what we're going to do. In the next 10 years, I don't know where we'll be or what we're going to do. But I know this, that we are going to sacrifice ourselves for the glory of God so that we see his glory, his kingdom come into this city, this nation, and this world as a byproduct of the things that we're doing as a church. That's what we're going to do. And so, friends, I'm excited about the future. I don't think this is our permanent home. I know that we are going to move at some point. I just know it. And so we're planning and preparing for that. You know, we've taken, we're receiving these legacy funds to put money in the bank that someday we're going to buy our own house. We're no longer going to have a landlord in Jesus' name. The Bible says that, what is it? What is it? Uh, that we are not the tail, but we're the dog. Do you know what I mean? You with me? 
And sometimes we got to stop thinking that we're their tail. Because, see, we're the one wagging the tail. And that's what God wants for his church. And so I'm excited to see what God does in the next 10 years. See, we're going to be a church that reproduces. We're going to be a church that sees lives changed and other lives changed. And people, you see what I'm getting at? It's not just about you. It's not about just what you get when you come to church. It's about the fact that you're going to get filled up and then you're going to reproduce that somewhere else. We're going to be a church that's healthy and high impact. We're going to be a church that cares about the soul, but also cares about the mission. See, that's the kind of church that we want to be. We're going to focus on quality and let God deal with the quantity. Do you get me? Because I know this. If we'll take care of the quality, God will deal with the quantity. Because he says so in his word. If we will do our part, he will do his part. Always yes and amen 100%. We're the, he's not the one with the problem. We're the ones with the problem when it comes to being faithful. Right? And so, man, we're going to relocate. We're going to, I believe in the name of Jesus that this medical clinic in El Salvador is going to get built. I believe it 100%. We're going to care for pastors because pastors are dropping like crazy in the middle of these challenges that we're facing today. And you know why? It's because they're alone. They don't have any friends. And so we as a church will invest in caring for pastors We will invest in their health so that they can be still strong, so that they can get back in the game because we've got to stop losing pastors. We've got to stop losing pastors to all kinds of things. And so we're going to invest there. We're going to invest through the relational network and we're going to see amazing things happen. We're going to create a long-term partnership with Israel, something that I just believe strongly in because those are God's people. And we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to love them and let God sort it out. But we're going to love them. I believe that we're going to start some kind of school of transformation and ministry training. We're going to do some great things. We're going to do some amazing things. God is going to do some stuff that we can't even think or imagine. We are going to reach more people in St. Louis. Come on. Do we not believe that St. Louis needs a life giving church? Of course. And here's the other thing. We will plant churches. Out of this church, we will see that happen. Because I know 100%, you have to hear me here, is that more people can be reached when we plant churches. It's just true. The data is clear. And so that's what we're going to do. And I don't know if that excites you. I don't know if you get out of bed for that. But I I know for me, it excites me. And it all comes back to this. Nothing to do with my kingdom. Everything to do with his kingdom. Everything to do with that, that story that Emily shared. You get what I'm saying? That's what it's about. It's about the life that God loves and cares for and wants the best for. Come on. So we're going we're gonna to sacrifice for that. It's worthy of our life. It's worthy of our life. And then finally, I believe that we'll reach our full potential when we start focusing on lifting Jesus up in all things. That means your personal life. That means your friendships. That means your marriage. That means everything. That Jesus would be lifted up and glorified in your life. And you know what the Bible promises? That when we do that, that he will draw all people to himself. Jesus is attractive. Human beings stink. 
But the perfume and the fragrance of Jesus, friends, is nice. And when we give people Jesus, they will want Jesus because he's beautiful. And so my heart for us as a church is that we would live in such a way that we lift him up in all things. And you know what it requires? It requires humility. It requires dying to ourself. As Rick Warren says, it's not about you. And when we treat the church as a cosmic Coke machine, we put our money in and we get what we want. Friends, we have taken the bride of Christ and prostituted her before this world. It is not about us. It is about him and it's about his glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us be a church that lives with humility, sacrifice and honor. Because that's what we need. Let's pray together. You know, earlier I mentioned that the Bible says that if you'll believe in the light, that you'll become sons of the light. And I believe today, if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus that I was talking about, I believe that he wants to enter into that relationship with you. And so I want to get to that in just a moment, but I do want to talk to anybody here today before I do that. Perhaps when I mentioned to you what the church was about. Maybe there was a moment where you thought, wow, I really have not been treating that, the church that way. That maybe you've been a taker. That, you, that you're taking all the time. And I just want to say to you, today's your day. You can be a contributor. All you have to do is make a decision. Humble yourself before the Lord that loves you. And give your heart to him and he will come in. And so I want to pray for anybody that wants to do that today. And so right now in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray for anybody in this room that wants to lay down their life. They want to lay down their agenda. They want to lay down whatever it is that they're doing and get in line with what you're doing. That you want to re-up again. You want to say, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being so focused on myself that I can't even see straight. I'm focused on your kingdom, Lord. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would see clearly again today. Just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for what I've done? Would you forgive me for the times that I've not loved you with my life? I'm sorry. But would you fill me again with your spirit that I might get actively involved in the things that you've called me to? God, I need your help to do it. You know, when I talked about walking in the light, and all those people that saw the miracles of Jesus, the scripture clearly communicates that they decided not to believe. And what I want to say to you today, today is a day that you can change that reality. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will come in and change your reality. It requires faith. Faith in the one that glorified himself through death. Three days later was resurrected from the dead. Restoring our relationship with God. Come on. What a glorious thing. And so I just want to offer you a prayer. If you'd like to pray this prayer, just go ahead and pray it with me. 
Church, let's pray this together. Anybody in here that wants to pray that prayer to enter into a relationship with Jesus right now, let's just begin to pray. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. Will you be Lord of my life today? Change me from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit. I choose this day, come on, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we just celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? Come on.